what are you doing here? You can't have a goat on a bus. <laughs> one man. Right brain. One woman. Left brain. Battling the forces of evil. Welcome to the podcast. Don't be downcast. Let your soul bask in the glory of his name. You're listening to... Ascribe and declare. Well, Miranda, we've got a good show today. Yes. I have several clips, and I'm excited to share them. Fabulous. <laughs> and I hope you have a couple articles to bring as well. Yeah. Okay, good. All this right. It's going to be good. All right. You want me to go first, or you want to start with some? You go. What do you got? Uh, I have an NPR about the flu. Okay. The flu is almost over, right? Yeah, well, hopefully. I just think it's fascinating. Okay, I'm not a... I'm not an advocate for or against the vaccine, although I personally never get it and I could care less about it because I never have seen any evidence of it working. Right. (laughs) So I've never cared. And I think, why would I want to put that in me? What if it's something crazy? Did you have to get it when you were an EMT? You are highly encouraged. Okay. And actually, I believe it was a Lina or some, some other hospital that began to force their employees to get the flu vaccine. And there was an absolute outrage, but at mine, it was optional, but strongly encouraged. You know, they make you feel like you're going to kill somebody (laughs) if you don't have it. Transfer to them. Um, So anyway, I just, in this, this clip, which I've edited. Okay. I'm not, it's not like a secret that I've edited this because it's like a four or, or it's like a 40 minute interview. Okay. I just wanted to pull out the point that he said. Hopefully to do the essence, right? Yeah. We thought it would be a good time to check in with some experts to talk about the flu and take a look at some of the research on combating the influenza virus. Later, we'll look at the big picture with Michael Osterholm from the University of Minnesota. Uh, Let's take another call. Wayne is on the line from Proctor. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, Well, two things. One, I I just found out this year that most insurance companies – pay fully for the flu shots. There's no deductible. Of course they do. Uh, and, and I never realized that before. So that's a, a nice benefit. But the other thing is I've gotten flu shots for like about four decades now. Uh, every year I've been getting them. And I'm just wondering that if over time that helps build up the immunity for flu. Well, actually, believe it or not, we don't know. Surprise. <laughs> okay, here, I'll let him finish. Believe it or not, we don't know. And uh, one of the things we're challenged by right now, we have several studies that have actually been published, which suggest that repeated flu vaccinations year after year after year may lower your protection. Hmm. And uh, I sure. So let's make a vaccine and push it all around the world and make you get it. And uh, I surely would not want to change the public recommendations to get vaccinated every year yet. But this is, as I pointed out just a few minutes ago, I know less about flu now than I did 10 years ago. The more data we collect, the more uh, we realize we don't fully understand what's going on in terms of this. So, again, I recommend getting the flu vaccine. But uh, it may be that, again, part of this immune cell recognition, if you keep hitting the immune system every year with uh, the vaccine, you may do something to its ability to respond when the real virus hits. And so this is very preliminary data. It's information that we're working on at this time. But uh, uh, I surely don't have any evidence that you would have built up your immune system with uh, annual shots. Hmm. Michael Osterholm is our guest today talking about the flu. There you go. You know, I was thinking, I just heard a doctor speak at a 
counseling training. And I was thinking, we hold doctors up too high. I mean, I think this doctor would have even said that. We expect them to be the end-all, know-all about everything. And like he even said, he said, when you get into school, they tell you, well, half of this stuff, you're going to be proven wrong in 10 years. And he said, well, just teach me the half that I need to know now or that won't be proven wrong. He's like, yeah, that's the problem. We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) So, Well, this makes me think of like yet last week we talked about um, sheep embryos. And yeah, we or I mentioned an article in science, some science thing that uh, suggested that the creation story might be accurate versus, say, the evolution story. and. Actually, the same person that in that episode last week, we said, oh, there's someone who I know there's <laughs> someone who knows the name for this, which was fawn, it's a, a fawn, a goat slash human, a, or it's yes, like a human a goat with human, goat human, legs. Yeah. And that same person came up to me after church. First of all, he just walked up. He's like, um, by the way, it's fawn. <laughs> and I started laughing. And I said, actually, you're the person I knew would know the answer to that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But anyway, I was talking with him about it and we were discussing the science thing because he doesn't really buy it. And that's fine Um, because I was basically saying, you know, it's the same with doctors, same with science, same with theology. Uh, You really have to pick a person to believe. And it's not authority. Yeah, it's not that you're just and, you know, he was taken back a little bit, but it's not that you just walk out and throw a dart at a dartboard. And be like, oh, I guess I'm going to believe this guy. No, we use common sense and we say, you know, what does he say versus what am I seeing in the world or what evidence am I seeing? You know, and like with the Bible, it's always easier because you can go back. What what does that say in the Bible? How close is that to scripture? And then we can say, you know what? I believe this theologian is the most accurate to scripture and so forth. But we can't so much do that with doctors. Right. <laughs> because there's not that uh that standard out there. And so I was saying basically you're believing one health guy over another. One guy says eggs are bad for you, the next one says they're good. One says butter is bad for you, the next one says they're it's good. Milk is bad for you, then it's good. Uh what was the most recent one? Bananas. Bananas, Bananas a day cause cancer from this one place. I was like, okay, no, we're getting, you know, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And and so basically you're trying to weed out what you feel is whatever, right or wrong. And unless you're the one looking down the microscope lens at that data, you can't know. You're the one, you're just believing which, whatever they say. And And on both sides, there's so much politics and all of that, that you, you don't know what's, So much is falsified information and, you know, you find out later that this whole entire study was fake or, you know, stuff like that. So uh, the point was that there's evidence for both sides and you kind of have to weed through that evidence and determine what you feel is right or wrong. What side you're going to land on. Yeah, what side you're going to land on. And I I tend to land towards uh, the biblical view and so does this guy, of course, but when we're dealing with science... I just haven't seen anything that's very believable <laughs> and there's so much that's proven wrong time and time again. And so anyway, yeah, that's the point. This guy yeah. just sitting here confessing, hey, we don't really know actually. <laughs> we right. don't know about the flu vaccine. We don't know anything how it works. But, you know, I would recommend getting that vaccine every single year. 
There's no evidence that it will actually help you, but please go get it because that's what the government has recommended. So, okay, I'm done. Speaking what? of which camp do you fall in? Where do you land? Where do you land on service animals? Ooh. Yeah, they're cracking down now. We have like uh, two at our church now. Oh, I thought you, yeah. Two yeah. dogs. Yep. They're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's really neat. It's really cool to how they can train dogs to sense things and be in tune to their people, you uh-huh. know, whatever. Yep. They're cracking down now. Airlines especially are cracking down on laws sure, and guidelines, not laws, but guidelines for people who can take service animals. Yeah. Well, I heard that some... Like dogs were even like pooping in the aisles. Yes. They <laughs> are disgusting. Cousins. Yeah. Actually, there was a guy who was mauled by another passenger's 70 pound emotional support dog. Wow. Yeah. And the guy couldn't escape because he was in the window seat. Oh my And so goodness. he ended up getting like 28 <laughs> stitches. It's terrible. Oh. So people are saying this is a problem. They're really using this article I read. The people on there actually went online. They filled out a form to get themselves certified for an emotional support animal. Sure. They could do it just like that. Like you can get yeah. it online, like Elvis wedding certificate yeah. or something like <laughs> no. that, you know, or no, no, no. Like people get their, uh, credentials. So they can marry sure. someone. Yeah. They could like just I could be an it. ordained pastor. Yes. So you can get your own emotional support dog. Just mm-hmm. go online. And they yep. said, Oh yeah, you're a good candidate. So one of the people did it with a dog. He totally did. He went on, took the dog, did all that. Yeah. And another lady did a pig. She just <laughs> took a pig. She took it on the flight. She's like, yeah, that was really easy. I just went wow. online, filled it out. Hey, you don't have to buy a ticket. So exactly. <laughs> and that's what they're saying is people are just getting around these laws and they're mm-hmm. using it and frauding the whole system. And there is a thing that says that they people have attempted to fly with comfort turkeys, sugar <laughs> gliders, snakes, spiders, pigs, and more. Wow. Can you imagine is, a, trying to BS your way out of a comfort snake right? or a comfort spider? No, this gives me peace inside. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's been abused. So they're trying to make it so that it's helpful. They're trying to reformulate it so it's helpful for people who really do have these animals that they're taking hmm. while cutting some of the fraud. But what made me start looking into the real laws was this guy tried to take a goat on a bus. <laughs> and well, was he in Africa? That would be an everyday right? occurrence. It would be so normal. But this, it was not even African goat. It was sure. full, full horns, full, like, <laughs> I don't know, like scruff main thing. It was a huge full-size goat. Oh. And they had cell phone videos that people had taken. And he's sitting on there with his goat and people, the bus driver was like, man, you got to... You got to go. And the, the guy's actually quoted. He says, I got on the bus and the driver was like, what are you doing here? You can't have a goat on a bus. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's America. You can't. Look at my certificate. <laughs> and he did. He showed them his that this goat. So he, the guy had a braid injury. Okay. And this was his goat. That was an emotional support. Sure. Well, it turns out they, the papers he had were really for housing that said, yes, he can have a goat in his house, I guess. Ah. But the department of transportation said, yeah, they reviewed the videos. They feel like the bus people handled it the way that it should have been handled. The papers weren't to allow him to ride a bus. And like she said, service animals provide a service. This was an emotional support. It's therapy. Yeah. Which is different than it's not like going to stop him from having a seizure or something. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And it's not a health in that way, even uh, when the guy was leaving the bus, clearly the goat was in control. 
Yeah. I mean, he was like being pulled you, by his goat. There's a video of it? Yeah. Oh, so, awesome. I'll put it on the site. Well, it's actually I'll in one of the, it. it's in the link. You can watch it because it's okay, a news good. thing. So good. yeah, you can watch it. So it's interesting. Nice. But the unfortunate thing was he had to ride that bus because he couldn't find a mechanic to actually fix his bus. He has a bus that wow. he owns. Wow. Yeah. It looks like he might live in it, but. <laughs> he might live in it. I don't know. Okay. So that well, was Should we move over to uh, spiritual? I suppose. Okay. That's the point of the podcast, right? Jump yeah. in. Yep. All right. I got a clip from, this is just going to be kind of, we'll do three clips, I hope, and they're going to be not related. Other than they're Christian. They're related by God. Yeah. Here we go. This is Piper. In the same passage, John 8, he's. Not Piper. Piper sounds like Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that must mean Dave is on his way on to sanctification. Yeah. He's Here we go. Like yeah. Piper. The more your voice sounds like Piper, the more <laughs> spiritual you are. I think so. Uh, this one is Piper. So what is that other mindset? The biblical mindset. It's not simply that it includes God or that it says the Bible is true. The devil includes God and he, he knows the Bible is true. The biblical mindset begins with a radically different starting point. Namely, God and his rights and goals, as opposed to you and your rights and desires. So basically what he's saying is we are not talking about people. The point of this is that so many people call themselves Christians. Right. Right. And they say, oh, yes, I believe in this. Take, for an example, the podcast that I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. The bad podcast, we'll call it. (laughs) The bad one. No, So they don't have a biblical mindset. They don't have a biblical worldview because they don't believe in the Bible, really. They just believe that the Bible exists as possibly a history book and whatever. So they say they believe in Jesus. Um, But then their lives aren't transformed. Their minds aren't transformed. It starts there, it centers there, it defines everything there. God and his rights as the creator and his goals as the guider of all things is the center, the ground, the starting place, the goal. Everything is defined by him, everything is measured by him. The biblical mindset sees as problems, not what the world sees as problems. The problems that the biblical mindset sees in the world are so different. Things that don't fit with God's rights, God's purposes, God's worth, God's beauty. These are the problems. And successes in the world are things that fit with God's purposes, God's designs, God's rights. And see, this is exactly what we're doing on the podcast. What we're trying to do anyway is this is what glorifies God, hopefully the podcast. But what I mean is (laughs) aligning yourself with God's rights, with God's goals, with the things he loves. And doing those things, those are how you glorify God. And when you come across things that, you know, that he doesn't love, then you do those things. You are not glorifying God, right? So 
there's obviously going to be a big gray area and we got to figure out and navigate through our lives what is going to most glorify God. And it's easier when you're saturated in the word in a biblical mindset because you just might have read something in the Psalms and been like, oh, God hates that. I guess I should hate that. Right. I need to stop doing that because I've just read my Bible and I've read what God loves or God hates. Yeah. So I want to start doing those things God loves, start not doing the things that God hates. And that is how we become more and more glorifying to God. It, you know, and like Piper always says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Yeah. The more satisfied we're in him, the more he is glorified in us. That's hopefully what we're doing on the podcast, developing ourselves, you know, our attitudes and our heart to glorify God. And this is interesting, Miranda. Okay. I didn't realize it, but the next clip does line up with that. It's Timothy Keller, and it's a little bit long, but the question was, is homosexuality a sin? Okay. And he's answering it, but let's listen to the clip. Committing homosexual acts will go to, get you to go to hell? No, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Right. No, because you know, so, some people will well, say, no, yeah. well, it's not the homosexuality or being gay, it's being doing gay stuff. No, That's the problem. No. No, I, first of all, heterosexuality does not get you to heaven. I happen to know this. <laughs> right. So how in the world can homosexuality send you to hell? I just, it, it, and actually... Uh, the Bible, listen, this is, this is true. Jesus talks about greed ten times more than he talks about adultery, for example. Now, one of the problems Christians have here is partly, let, let's be nice to Christians. You know when you're committing adultery. I mean, you don't say, oh, you're not my wife. I mean, you know you're committing <laughs> But... But almost nobody knows when they're greedy. I mean, nobody thinks they're greedy, you know, because everybody is comparing yourself to other people, and so it's a frog in the kettle kind of thing. Uh, however, the fact of the matter is the Bible is much harder on greed materialism, and it's a horrible sin, terrible sin. Well, will greed send you to hell? No. What sends you to hell is self-righteousness, thinking that you can be your own Savior and Lord. What sends you to heaven is getting a connection with Christ because you realize you're a sinner and you, and, you, and you need intervention from outside. That's why it's, a, it's very misleading, actually, to say, even to say homosexuality is a sin. Because most people, yes, of course homosexuality is a sin, because greed is a sin, because all kinds of things are sins. But what most Christians mean when they say that, and certainly what non-Christians think they hear when they hear that, is if you're gay, you're going to hell for being gay. It's just not true. Absolutely not true. So then, what's the whole, how is homosexuality a sin? I'm not. Well, greed's a sin. In other words, it's not doesn't help human flourishing. Basically, Christianity has an account of what we think human beings were built to do, and what will therefore help human flourishing. So we would say, if you spend all your money on yourself, that's bad. Not only for your own soul, but for everybody else's. We would say homosexuality is not the original design for sexuality. Therefore, it's not good for human flourishing. We want people to do things that are good for human flourishing, but that's not what sends you to heaven or hell. Now there, maybe we ought to talk about that. Uh, what sends you to heaven or hell really has to do with your faith in the gospel, which is that you can't uh, be your own savior through your performance and your good works. And there you go. That's exactly in line with the biblical mindset. And what's funny is watching people that aren't believers 
try to wrap their head around it because they don't understand. They think it's an action just because, just like uh, most Christians do. That's how fundamentalism works. If you play cards, if you dance, if you commit homosexual acts, you are sinning and therefore you're going to hell. What sin actually is, is not glorifying God. And so there's this scale and we're always doing it. Um, You can't really get away from not sinning because you're never probably having the best motive. You're probably, uh, your heart is probably never completely 100% tuned into what God desires at that exact moment for you. Um, We're always trying to navigate this and try to give God the most glory in every situation. And at the same time, we are sinless. We are a holy priesthood. We are covered in Christ's righteousness because he has taken away our sin once and for all. So it's very confusing for unbelievers. And like I said, a lot of believers, um, because there's an already and a not yet. We are already made sinless by Jesus dying on the cross when we uh, believed in him, put our trust in him, believed in the gospel, we became sinless. We had our sins taken away. We became justified. And then there's the not yet, which is we're not glorified. We're on the road to sanctification. In this earth, we still struggle with our flesh. We're not free from that entirely. So we're still wrestling with it. We make mistakes. We sin. We are not labeled necessarily sinners. We are saints, but we're kind of both. We're sinners and we're saints. Um, We're already and we're not yet made into Christ's likeness. So let's go back to sin. So when you try to say uh, one lie is a sin, well, then you have to say, okay, well, then is, you know, telling my wife she has a bad haircut not telling her that, is that a sin? (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, It gets so confusing and it's hard to do because it's not about that action. It's about your heart and giving God glory and lining yourself up with what he loves and what he hates. Um, You know, I always think about the analogy of the kingdom and I've preached about this a little bit. Um, When you have a kingdom, okay, let's take, I I haven't done this on the show yet, but I, I keep wanting to, is you have this kingdom, God's kingdom, right? And when you're saved, we won't talk about everything, but because the analogy is just massive, okay? But when you're saved, you become a part of that kingdom. Now imagine there's walls. Everything you do inside of the wall doesn't necessarily mean it was right. Um, You could hit somebody or you could um, murder somebody or, you know, something like that. But you were a child of the king. You were adopted by the king. You are now a Christian. It doesn't make you not a sinner. (laughs) It doesn't make you perfect. Um, And so those outside of the wall are still sinners, but they don't understand that it's not about being a sinner. It's about being a child of the king, right? So they haven't accepted that king. They haven't accepted that king. And and the king said, you know, I want to save you. I love you. You're outside the wall. Maybe... Maybe outside the wall is complete destruction. You know, there's going to be a fire here. The whole place is going to be burned up. The only safety is inside the wall. Um, Come into the wall. I'll make you my children. I'll give you food. I'll take care of you. And 
everywhere outside of the wall, they say, no, I don't want to go into the king. I love my little life out here. I can do whatever I want. Nobody cares, you know. It doesn't change whether you're a sinner or not. It simply changes whether you're a child of the kingdom. So if you think about being outside of the wall, does it matter if the guy is committing a homosexual act, being greedy, or even building an orphanage? It doesn't yeah. matter. It's it's You're outside of the wall. You're outside of the kingdom. Yeah, and I think that goes, you said that my response when I first heard it, because I kind of had an issue with the way he was talking about sin, mm-hmm. because I felt like it was maybe misleading or the way that I was hearing it didn't line up with what I understood because they, you can do things outside the kingdom that might be good for flourishing the human condition, mm-hmm. say raising your kid or, you know, yeah, taking care of your crops. kids or yeah, growing crops, <laughs> whatever it be. Yep. But that doesn't make you in the kingdom. Correct. And so the way, same way with sin, you can't glorify God outside of his kingdom. Yeah. And I think that's... And it's a little confusing because there's just different elements. There's different angles to talk about sin. I mean, to say one thing and is is probably going to leave out another and somebody's going to correct me and, you know, but this is the overall concept of it. And yeah, is there human flourishing? Yes. It's called not killing people, you know, um, growing your crops, um, these things that the, the commandments, you know, loving your neighbor, not bearing false witness, you know, things like that. These are things that God has created the world to function like in a beautiful way. And the more we do those, the more we're going to flourish. Yeah. And I think that going back to that analogy too, you can do those things and it will go better for you outside Mm -hmm. of the kingdom, but ultimately it it doesn't get you into the the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Next one. I just wanted to touch on because this was, um, did you have anything else to say about that? No. This was our pastor preaching a couple Sundays ago. And in fact, I realized when I took the clip from last time I played him, it's from the same sermon. But oh, I didn't funny. even I didn't even know that. It was a good sermon. Uh, yeah, it was. But this one was on a different point. So this is about Satan's lies because one thing that gets me with a lot of this you know, even take that podcast and they say, oh, there's, you know, a hundred denominations and there's 10 beliefs on the Holy Spirit and there's whatever, yada, yada. And yeah, that might be true, but Satan takes truths and he makes them into little lies, yeah. you know, that people tend to believe. And that's how he loves to work. Like, or even I mean, going back to the garden, he took what God said. Oh, Miranda, that's a good segue. Okay, hold that. Let's listen <laughs> okay. to the clip first. In the same passage, John 8, he's also called the father of lies. His temptations, we saw just a minute ago, are only ever lies. He does not tempt us to things that are good and true. He offers partial truth. Consider Jesus' temptation, the way he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, what did he tempt with? He tempted with the very words of God, twisted just right to sound appealing, dressed up nice and neat and looking even plausible, benevolent. This is why it is so crucial for us to study God's word. That Satan whispers little lies into your minds and hearts so that little by little you believe them more and more such that you can no longer tell the difference even between Satan's voice and God's. Yeah, so what I was saying back with the garden even is he Mm -hmm. took what God said and caused them 
not only to question the boundaries, but question God mm-hmm. and their understanding of what he said. And mm-hmm. yeah, just really subtle. And this, this is what's been, this is what I wanted to talk about with this is the book, Jesus Calling or God Calling. Mm. This book is everywhere. <laughs> Jesus Calling. And I just Millions heard a bunch of, of toes. copies. I just heard a bunch of toes stepped on. <laughs> so I go into all these houses and, you know, Jesus Calling will be sitting there on an end table. Well, the interesting thing about this is that it only presents one thing. Now, if this lady said, you know what? I was going to write a devotional and yada, yada, that would be fine, right? But what she's saying is that these are the actual words of Jesus Christ. Now you have a problem. Which would be scripture. <laughs> yes. And she does not deny. She says on one quote that it's not on par with scripture. But you have to ask yourself, how is that possible? She says that it's not on par with scripture? Yes. Yes. She has a quote in one of the articles I read that says, wow. my words are not, or these words are not on par with scripture, which makes you ask the question, how is that possible? Yeah. How can you if, be saying that these are the words of Jesus Christ and this is not scripture? If Jesus is the word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> made if flesh. Jesus is the word. This doesn't make sense at all. No. Now, millions and millions of people are reading this book all the time. And what's funny is I was reading one article and the person, the commentator was great, who I think it was Tim Challies, but I can't remember exactly, but it might've been Gospel Coalition. And he said, it's kind of funny how Jesus ends up sounding like a middle-aged woman (laughs) throughout the whole thing. And if you actually read that book and then read scripture, it sounds nothing alike. Hmm. So why on earth did God talk one way, Jesus Christ, when he was a man in person talking one way, and now through this book, that's not scripture, talk another way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's dangerous. It doesn't it matter that it, if it's close to scripture, okay? You are saying that these are the words of Jesus and that everybody needs to take these. Why is not the entire world taking this on as a New Testament? Isn't that what the Mormons did? Yeah, exactly. If you're getting scripture, I mean, if you're getting the words of God, the words of Jesus Christ himself, which wouldn't it be the Holy Spirit? Anyway. Yeah, right? Um, it's all messed up. And, and, and this here's another big problem with it. It takes the place of the Bible. I don't see the Bible at every end table in the houses I go to. Sure. Yep. I see Jesus calling at every end table, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and Sarah Young doesn't hide that. She actually said, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem wrong. But when you write down your own thoughts and put them on the pages of a book and call it Jesus, now you have a problem. Well, yeah, it's a big red flag when you have somebody that you're reading daily who's giving you an image of who Jesus is, but that person who's giving it to you didn't apparently see scripture as sufficient that they mm. needed to seek a new revelation from right. God. Yeah. And I was thinking when you take that book and you replace the Bible with that book, um, it prevents you from being able to discern rightly 
like the things of the world and the problems that you're facing and sin, because we have to go to the word to see whether God loves this or hates it. And when you're just taking it some one-sided devotional where Jesus is always your cheerleader, right? you might be going through a horrible situation that you might even be the cause of, but you can't see it because the book and the devotion you're reading is telling you that Jesus is on your side, but really you might be the one at fault. You might be the one causing the problem. And how can you see that when you're not in the word being saturated by the word? Well, yeah. anyway, I, <laughs> I can yeah. talk about this all day yes. long. I put some articles on this book up on the show notes. So please go there. Yeah. Check them out. If this struck yeah. a chord with you, whether you're irritated or whether you are curious, <laughs> if your whatever blood it is, is boiling and your hair is standing up on the back of your neck. <laughs> yes. Look into it because I do know that there are people who this is a beloved devotional for them. And I just think it's really good to know yeah. the source and really kind of push back on that. Yeah. And get a biblical perspective of it. Should we move on to our commercial break? Yeah. I'm taking credit for this one. Yep. Miranda is the one that found our sponsor for today. So she gets all the credit. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Wise guys don't carry the money in a wallet. He carries it around in a wad like this. What is that? This is the broccoli wad. It's tough. It's made of a silicone rubber broccoli wad. It's in your pocket. Easier than a wallet. Broccoli wad. It keeps all my passion cards right here. Broccoli wad. Thing's so small, you can take it anywhere. Sure, you can take it to the gym, you can take it to the beach, you can take it to the pool, you can take it anywhere. You can take it to the beach, you can take it to the racetrack, take it to the movies. If you want to wait, just take it outside. Take it outside. Take it outside. The broccoli wad, it's tough. It's made of a silicone rubber. Broccoli wad, it's in your pocket. Easier than a wallet. Broccoli wad. Hey, forget about it. I won't forget. You forgot, knucklehead. I won't forget, boss. Forget about it. I won't forget. You forgot, knucklehead. Forget about it. Wise guys don't carry that baller. Wise guys don't carry that briefcase. Wise guys don't carry that baller. Carries around this broccoli wad. It's tough. It's made of a silicone rubber broccoli wad. It's in your pocket. Easier than a wallet. Broccoli wad comes in blue for the daytime. White for the night. The broccoli wad comes in black. It comes in white for the ladies. Oh, that's nice. Give me the check. Thank you. Here. Thank you. Pick up the tip. The broccoli wad. An offer you can't refuse. Get yours today for only $10. But wait, call now and we'll double the offer. That's four Broccoli Wads today for only $10. Broccoli Wad, an offer you can't refuse. I love how, when you got to watch the video too. Yeah. The video, yeah. It's so good. And this it's is a great. real product. The broccoli wad. Yes. Just saying that is horrible. <laughs> like this is absolutely destined to fail. There's no chance this could ever succeed. And it really <laughs> literally looks like. The rubber band that you buy when you get broccoli. Yeah, it is. And they probably started with that. They were probably taking the rubber band off of broccoli, putting it around their money. Because it's <laughs> they a thick called it the broccoli band. 
It's horrible. Anyway. Forget about it. Miranda, are you excited? No. It's now time to play Fact or Fiction with your host, Matt Adams, and our one contestant, Miranda Adams, in the house. Are you ready? Woo! Okay. Fact or fiction? Fact or fiction? I'm gonna read. No, listen. (laughs) Fact or fiction? Miranda loves these kind of games. Fact. Fiction. (laughs) Oh my goodness. He loves to do this because he takes more joy knowing. Yeah. I don't like it. Yep. I certainly do. I love awkward moments. It's something I live for. All right. So the basic essentials of the game, which you could never figure out on your own, is determining whether this is a fact or a fiction. All right? You have a 50-50 shot. All right. So that makes it kind of easy. No. You got to keep score. It makes it 50-50. We have to keep score so we know. If you get more than 50% right, you win. If you get less than 50% right, you don't win. Okay? Okay. All righty. First question. Goldfish have a memory of three seconds. Fact. False. <laughs> actually, they I think can. I've rec- heard that. Yeah, actually, they. I know these are these are things that are you know probably you like know things. misnomers or whatever. Okay. They actually can recall up to five months. Wow. Yeah. Who determined that? Right. How do you test a goldfish? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Okay. That was somebody's job. Fact or fiction. It is illegal to catch mice in Ohio. That's probably fact. Ding! <laughs> See, I forgot my buzzer. Yes, absolutely. That is right. It's a fact that in Ohio, you must have a hunting license oh, wow. to catch mice. <laughs> wow. Fact or fiction. A group of unicorns is known as a blessing. Fiction. <laughs> nope. It is actually a fact. Wow. It is known as a blessing. A group of unicorns. A group of ravens is known as a kindness. I don't know this stuff. Who knows this stuff? <laughs> uh, the beauty of the game is you have to answer. Fact or fiction? Fact. False. It is actually called an unkindness oh. <laughs> a group of ravens that makes perfect Who sense names groups of animals no kidding they have the weirdest I mean, names an unkindness of ravens which yeah. is definitely true probably a group of crows is called a homicide fact <laughs> false it's actually a murder she wrote oh, a murder that's of a, crows that's a it's a book or something like that I don't think that's a book. Yes, it is. How to Kill a Mockingbird? No, A Murder of Crows. Now I'm going to, now we seem completely illiterate. (laughs) Which may be fact or fiction. You decide. Completely illiterate. Uh, Oh, which brings me to. We're podcasters, the mall cops of broadcasting. Oh. (laughs) The world's oldest piece of chewing gum is 5,000 years old. Uh, fact. Oops. 
sorry, false. False hope. Yeah. Actually, it's supposed to be 9,000 years old. Mm, I don't buy that. Nope. What kind of, where'd you get these questions? I know. Well, it's not a Christian science magazine. (laughs) Ken Ham didn't write it. All right. Ready? There's only two more. Fact or fiction? A violin is made up of 70 pieces of wood. Fiction. How can you get so many wrong? <laughs> I had a okay. 50-50 chance. It actually, yeah, you, but yet you get almost 100% wrong. The odds wrong. are not in my favor. <laughs> a violin is made up of 70 different pieces of wood. Can you imagine the tediousness of wow. putting that together? It's a lot. Last one. This is for all the marbles. Fact or fiction. The fortune cookie was invented in China. Fiction. Yay! I read a story on that one. You got it right. America invented Mm -hmm. the fortune cookie. I knew that one. It wasn't even a guess. I should get bonus (laughs) points. You should. You could have even asked me what country I would have said. America. Oh, wow. Anyway... You did fantastic. That's not true. That's fiction. I think you did fantastic. I got them all wrong, except for like three. (laughs) That's not fantastic. (laughs) You live in that Uh, post-self-esteem world where everyone's a winner. (laughs) You got them all wrong, but you did good. Here's your trophy. And you win an award. (laughs) You played the game well. Actually, you do win an award. Here's your award because I love this one so much. A jingle. Yay. (laughs) Did you like my new jingle that I have? Yeah. We're podcasters. The mall cops of broadcasting. (laughs) So special. (laughs) Uh, I picture that. Courtesy of one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to. I picture that Paul Blart on his. Yeah. What are those things? Segway. On his Segway going through the mall. That's exactly right. All right. We did our game show. We did our commercial break. So it's time to let you know. That you need to go subscribe to this. Because we're going to tell you what to do. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast on whatever it is that you're listening to and put automatic downloads. Mm. Well, (laughs) (laughs) just again. Anyway, subscribe, okay? Or go to our website, ascribeanddeclare.com and subscribe there and you'll get a notification in your email that we've put out a new episode. All right. And share us on Facebook. Actually, do this for me right now. If you're listening to this podcast, because we want interaction, you know, it's really fun for us to hear uh, things that, you know, you loved or even that you didn't like or you disagreed with or that were funny or not funny or whatever, you know. Or if you know if something's called a fawn. Yeah, exactly. If you're listening to this and you know the answer to it, text me immediately. In fact, right now, text me that you're listening to this, okay? That way I'll know that you're listening to it and it'll make us feel good. It's like- (laughs) For our (laughs) self-esteem. For our (laughs) self-esteem we're working on. No, create some interaction and I'll text you back. And uh, we don't have Twitter, but we're working on that. We'll do it so that we can actually create- you know, a conversation about something that we talk about or something like that, because we really do want to help you glorify God. If we can, um, we're not ordained ministers, although I'm working on that online. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's printing as we speak. It's printing out. I'll print out a thing and I'll post it on my website. Um, from the church of the universe. True story though. We could have been ordained. (laughs) Yep. We could have paid 70 bucks and got ordained. We could have. Ah, shoot. 
we should have at that moment. But it was a yearly, like you had we to still stay can. within the organization. Oh, yeah. So it was but, like you had to keep paying dues. Yeah, but we still could. Yeah. I think we can go back to our school and pay 70, 70 bucks. They'll pull us up on stage and they'll ordain, ordain us. us. Yeah. Break oh, well. Holy water. Anyway, that brings us to the quote of the day. The great heresy of the church today is that we think we're in the entertainment business. I feel like that should have had a drum symbol. We're in the (laughs) entertainment business. But Mike Livingston was the quote, and there's a link to the article that he posted, The Heresy of Worshiptainment. Get it? He took worship and entertainment and put them together. Yeah, I got that. And he has some great, really great things to say in there. Uh, And he quotes A.W. Tozer a lot, which was a great man of God, great preacher, has some really good books. Tozer said, let's see, church members want to be entertained while they are edified. Tozer, in, in 1962, even then, grieved that it was scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction was God. Hmm. I mean, think about that. How sad and ridiculous is that? And then we have David Platt, of course. What? Want to be entertained while they're edified? I mean, does that, is that not different (laughs) A.W. Tozer words for positive and encouraging? Wow. Right? Wow. Ouch. I didn't say that. Miranda Adams at (laughs) (laughs) gmail.com. Okay. More recently, David Platt said, what if we take away the cool music and the cushioned chairs? What if the screens are gone? Well, how would you read the words? And the stage is no longer decorated with fancy metal objects and shining lights. What if the air conditioning turned off and the comforts were removed? Would his word be enough for his people to come together? You know what he's hmm. describing there? Another country. Every Sunday in Africa. Right? Well, I was... Every stinking Sunday. Yeah. 100 degree weather, 100 people crammed on one pew. Sitting on half of your thigh. Yeah. I mean, the whole pew is open and they walk up and they sit touching you. Yes. But I was reading an article on, in preparation for this and he was talking about that, how they had been to a worship service in a gym. They had been to one outside and he described all these different situations. And he said, not once did anybody complain. Nobody ever said anything about the music. Nobody ever said anything about the preacher. And he said, where were we? We were on a missions trip. And right. he said, what if we all had mission trip mindsets mm-hmm. as we approached church? Mm-hmm. Our job was to be there to seek God and God alone. Which would actually be biblical mindsets. Right? Yes. <laughs> and this is another quote. From Tozer, heresy of method may be as deadly as heresy of message. Hmm. That is good. So that is exactly what we're talking about when we talk about Christian radio. We are, again, not condemning all Christian radio. And in some cases, most of the songs on Christian radio are good and helpful. Yeah. Inside the biblical mindset. Inside that worldview, inside of right theology. You know, it makes me think of the pyramid, like the food pyramid that they used to pitch to us in school. That was debunked? Yes. No, okay. But if you think back to that, the top of the food pyramid was sugar. You wouldn't put sugar as the bottom pillar. 
you right. know? And so if we have good theology as our bottom, we can have yeah. a little bit of, we can have fluff towards the top of the yeah. positive, encouraging. Yeah. You know, that's good. It's enjoyable. Yeah. You can be encouraged by it. It helps us. It helps us yeah. express our emotions. But if our whole plate is full of it, yep. that's not good. And we don't want to be guided by our emotions. We don't want to be guided by that, um, what would it be, like that downcast victim mentality yeah. where yeah. that's where that's always where that defeated. positive encouraging music always places you as a, a victim you're mm-hmm. not like this overcome well they say you're an overcomer but it's in the future right, right now you're a victim but you should be an overcomer you, you know there's not really a place for you just hey i'm loving life i'm living as a child of god i'm in the word i i'm being dutiful i I, i'm active in my church where's that place it's kind of hard to sing along yeah um, when you're in that place so number four am i cultivating a consumer mentality and this is the christian radio of the devil the article i think it's yeah question four of number five on desiring god Yes. Uh, oh, I thought you were. No, I was trying. Uh, to- he says, for almost all of history, music was something people made together. And for most of history, we knew our teachers. They were in the room with us. No longer. Most of our music is now made for us by people we don't know. Um, what's going to be the outcome of this experiment? He asks. Of course, this same challenge could be made against many of our worship services, not just Christian radio or music. Still, while the tendency to receive rather than participate antedates Christian radio and the internet, I wonder if our modern media reinforces a wrong desire. I, you know? Yeah. This- it's, that's what we're saying is everything in there is not necessarily wrong. It's reinforcing a desire we're hearing perfect music every time. Yeah. And that becomes our standard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had read, was it a different article? It talked about how church is more like a home-cooked meal than being out at an exquisite restaurant. Sure. And so it's ruddy and it's, you know, Gritty. real and yeah, people are around you. <laughs> yeah. And so if we're constantly out eating at these perfect fine dineries, well, then you're going to come back and say, oh, I don't want this. Don't serve me that. Especially when you're, you know, maybe church hopping or you're just watching channel surfing, watching all these preachers. Look at this preacher. Look at that preacher. My preacher doesn't preach like that. My preacher convicts me of sin. My preacher talks way too much about sin. He talks about the gospel. (laughs) It's like he doesn't talk about me getting money very much. Yeah, and this too, it's it's all about that consuming part of it that you're there for you. Yeah. You're there to get, not to give. Yeah. Uh, another article I found that I think went along well with this is called Learn to Love Your Uncomfortable Church. Mm. Yeah, he talks about, you know, you go into your church and there's that awkward greeting time or that mm-hmm. time you have to sit and talk to people. And he said that guy with... <laughs> Sweaty hands and the stinky breath that always tells you he's praying for you. And, you know, what do you do? How do you stay there? Yeah. Uh, and he says, but we leave churches too soon because we have little tolerance for the kind of discomfort that is good for us. Yeah. And he says, one rarely grows by staying in one's comfort zone after all. Right. It's more often through discomfort than comfort that we are stretched, grown, and challenged. Well, I like what you said earlier. 
having a missionary mindset. We are going to church to be ministers. I mean, think about that annoying kid. If you just walk into church and there's kids running around bumping you in the legs, you're going to be like, get out of my way. You're going to spill my Starbucks, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. But if you walked into a mission church that way, you wouldn't think that at all. You'd think, whoa, look at all these kids around here that I'm here to minister to. Yeah. I'm maybe I should make coloring pages with Jesus on them, or maybe I should give them a flannel graph story. You know, that would be your mindset. Yeah. Let's gather these kids. How can I talk to them in their language? How can I get a translator to help me mm-hmm. instead of having that get out of my way mentality? Right. Well, that's that's every service in Africa. Of mm-hmm. Kids screaming and running they up don't. and down the aisles. Yeah, there is no kids <laughs> service or church. And they don't care at all if their kid makes noise. It's, yeah. it's, it's very difficult, but it's so good for you. It's good for your mm-hmm. soul. And it's glorifying to God when you are in that mindset of being a minister, yeah. using your spiritual gifts. Yeah. And he he continues further to say, how can we endure... No, learn to love our uncomfortable church in spite of its frustrating imperfections. And he Mm -hmm. actually goes on and has four different suggestions of how to do that. So the first suggestion he has is to change your posture towards it. He says you need to shift, like we were just saying, we shift our posture away from ourselves. Mm. And Instead of thinking, oh, what can this do for me? I'm not liking the music that I'm hearing. Yes, And it becomes less about us and more about God. And more often it needs to be about the people that are around us. So just like we were saying, you know, discomfort becomes more tolerable and even appreciated when we see it as people to serve. Yeah, we're there to fellowship. Yeah. And then number two is we need to be teachable. They're saying that, you know, we come in there and we assume that our way is the only way to do church. Mm-hmm. And we need to acknowledge that other people have different ideas and open to the process of doing things in community, truly listening to each other and other perspectives. And I think when we were in Tanzania as missionaries, that really helped me to grow in being able to say, okay, I might see this as a better way to do this, but I love you more. So let's defer to you and how you want to do it. Yeah. Because you're not always going to be convinced. Oh, I heard you and I see, and I do see how your way is better. Yeah. You and might, you're, not, you're not always right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> maybe it's just, a, you know, maybe my way isn't better, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's other sides that you haven't thought of or yeah. things that are important to other people that you haven't considered because they're not important to you. Yeah. So yeah, being teachable is really good. Uh, the third one is to cling to Jesus. And he just says, when church is hard as often as it often is, don't leave. Seek Jesus. Yeah. Cling to him. They're great opportunities for growth and to facil- facilitate a deeper intimacy with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is see the eternal picture. Uh, and I'm just going to read the quote. It says, when your church seems like more trouble than it's worth, remind yourself that these are passing things, awkward growing pains in the now that nevertheless point us, if we have eyes to see, Toward the faint horizon of the not yet. The church will Mm -hmm. one day be the holy, spotless, blemish-free bride of Christ. Amen. And so, you know, that's our goal. And it's not now. Yeah, it's not now. (laughs) It's not now. So So many people get disappointed because they expect perfection. They expect heaven here on earth, and they're not going to get it in any area of life. Yeah, like that one person. Oh, God is calling me out of the church. Okay, 
Well, then he's calling you outside those walls of the kingdom. Yeah. Because the kingdom is the church. Mm-hmm. Like that is who we are. You are a child of the king. So you're saying, oh, I guess God is calling me not to be a child of the king. I guess God is unadopting me. That's crazy. That's insane to think about. And you are obviously not reading the Bible or not caring what the Bible says when you think like that. Yeah. And because most likely you are motivated by how they are going about things and that, that you disagree with them. Yep. Oh, I disagree with them. They're wrong. They're full of heresy or they're hypocrites. Yeah. So I guess God's calling me out of the church. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start my own home church. Well, yeah. guess what? You're still the church. <laughs> and are there <laughs> some churches that are uh, that you maybe need to consider? Yes. But yeah. and that's he addresses that in there, but he says, but more often than not, we leave too early. Yeah. Because we're too reasons. uncomfortable. For wrong reasons. You need to talk with your elders and be shepherded through that situation. A lot of people disconnect from their shepherds immediately, start trying other churches, and then, oh, wow, this one. Ooh, this person was so nice to me. Oh, they have a ministry that suits my needs or something like that. Instead of going to your pastor and saying, these are the things I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. What is your advice? Guess what? They're the authority over you. They're responsible for your soul. If you really need to move out of your church or switch churches or something like that, then that needs to be done in the context of eldership and with their blessing. You know, they should be helping you. And what this is going to do, you know, the reason people don't do this is obvious. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I want to leave. Well, (laughs) you're now discovering by putting yourself in this position that you're pretty much leaving for wrong reasons. And sometimes too, you're looking for somebody to start something, you know, say there you want a Bible study that you can attend, but you're not willing to start a Bible study yeah. or you're not willing to set up chairs so that we can have yeah. this or, you know, or people, do the nursery. Right. That's huge. Right. People aren't willing to serve. They just want to complain about something that's missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if your pastor can't help you through the moving process, that's a red flag. Maybe you might disagree with a big issue, but if you haven't talked through that and been to the point where you're both saying, okay, yeah, this might actually be better for you to be worshiping at another church, then you haven't really worked through it. Mm -hmm. You haven't really done it in a biblical manner um, because you should actually get to either that point or the point of them helping you move on. Oh, well, that's kind of what we got today. I don't have much more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have a couple more clips, but we're kind of at our time. Yeah. Which is trying to do an hour. And uh, so we'll leave it at that. Get a biblical mindset and stick out the awkward church. I I think we kind of like went veered way off from the point of the, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, until next week, ascribe God his glory and declare his marvelous works. (laughs) 